and you're listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Well, the public has a high expectation of police officers and those in law enforcement. There's an expectation that we should know things before they happen. We've seen new legislation that's based on this presumption, especially in situations where force is used. There's a unrealistic expectation that police are supposed to see things in advance. How exactly are we supposed to learn how to see into the future, much less through clothing and concealed areas to know that whether or not there's a weapon involved? Well, today's guest may be able to show us how we can sharpen our senses and maybe not see into the future, but to use science in helping us predict outcomes based on human reactions. Brian Marin is a human behavior and subject matter expert. He's worked with people from military, Fortune 500 companies, schools, hospitals, churches, and law enforcement agencies. He's the senior vice president of operations at Arcadia Cognorati, a company that trains in the science of human behavior. Brian is a former Marine Scout sniper with multiple deployments in Iraq. He's a high threat protection security professional, subject matter expert on human behavior pattern recognition and analysis. He has spent the last 19 years conducting both real world and training operations all over the United States, the Middle East, and both Central and East Asia. And Greg Williams is the president and founder of Arcadia Cognorati, a consulting firm specializing in assessing, developing, and conducting training and education to address urgent safety and security needs in most of the most challenging environments on the planet. Greg is a decorated veteran, urban law enforcement professional, and a decorated veteran former soldier with over 30 years of combined experience and expertise. Greg is an industry expert in irregular warfare and human behavior for the defense community, and he's the creator of human behavior pattern recognition and analysis, which is the fundamental science upon which his programs like the Marine Corps Combat Hunter and U.S. Army Advanced Situational Awareness Program are based in. Wow. That's uh that's, that's the show, Jim. <laughs> yeah, that's the show. Thanks for having us on. Yeah. That was great. We'll see you next week. <laughs> hey, sincerely, thank you both for your service and thanks for what you're doing to help uh cops among others uh in getting a, a foothold in some of the issues that we're seeing uh at the at the earliest onset stage, and, and that's before the incident happens. So you guys jump in between the two of you. Tell us what it is, how it is that you train, and how'd you both get to here now? Yeah, I don't know. Greg, do you want to uh, start? No, Brian, why don't you start, and I'll, I'll, I'll dovetail in. Okay, so, so you know, I would start with actually some of the interesting stuff you kind of said there in your intro about expectations of law enforcement and police officers. And, you know, you know, we have a high expectation of performance of police officers, and there's this expectation we should know things before they happen. Well, Jim, I'll throw it right back to you. I mean, you were deputy chief incident commander among a whole bunch of other things, and your job was to predict right events so you can mitigate and risk and, and manage any type of uncertainty for the city of San Francisco, your police department, everything. So that's kind of what we do in the same sense to teach and support 
predictive analysis, right? The, the, the what if game and how do we mitigate these things? And we can do that at a tactical, operational, and strategic level. And what we call that is human behavior pattern recognition analysis, right? So to define what that is, it's a scientific term for something you've been doing your entire life, right? So I'll give you an example of human behavior pattern recognition. If everyone listening, you think back to when you were a little kid, um, no matter who raised you, whether it was mom, dad, aunt, and uncle, grandma, grandpa, neighbor down the street, whoever it was, right? Think back when they walked in the room before they ever said a word to you, you knew whether they're happy, uh, whether they're sad, or in my case, I was about to get a whooping from mom because of something that I did and I got to go run and hide, right? Well, that's human behavior pattern recognition. You're, you're, it's an intuitive skill set. All humans are born knowing how to do or, or, no, or possessing the skills, I should say, right? What we don't get a lot of training in is analysis, or we do, but it's in a theoretical approach, or it's in things like trait theory, or it's in things like uh, um, ideology, it, it plays important. This is where you get all the pundits in, right? What we don't get in is a framework. So what we provide is an actual framework based in, uh, with science, based in science, the psychological, sociological, and physiological principles that govern all human beings. I don't care where you're from, where you grew up, what color your skin is, what you are, what you call yourself. There are certain core set of principles that govern, right? And we can use to explain human behavior. That's where we come in with our analysis, but it's a framework. And it's a scientific lexicon that's legal, moral, and ethical, and legally defensible. And so that's the essence of what HBPRNA is. Yeah, Brian, spot on. We use likelihood on one side and critical thinking on the other side. And what we do is we compare that with artifacts and evidence to come up with a reasonable conclusion about the risk, the risk before it occurs. That helps us manage the uncertainty level and de-escalate well before a situation becomes violent or uh, uh, ends in a lethal conclusion. The further you are ahead of a situation, left of bang, a term I coined a, a long time ago to try to explain this, the more likely you are to determine the most likely and most dangerous courses of action without having to put a foot in uh, uh, the water to test the, the temperature. Uh, uh, that leads to successful outcomes and law enforcement professionals glam onto it immediately, just like the military. I met Brian in a, in a military context. So I, I made the mistake of bringing the, uh, my ideas to the U.S. Department of Justice and U.S. Department of Defense. And they said two words uh, that I'll never regret, uh, uh, prove it, and sent me to combat zones. So I had to walk around all the time outside the wire uh, demonstrating these skill sets, and they worked. And I kept seeing this kid, uh, Brian Marin, in all the most dangerous places. So after, I, I think it was sometimes after 2007 and in uh, Afghanistan, I finally stopped for a minute. And I go, hey, I'm seeing you all the time. How about we work together? And so when he got out, uh, 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 and Brian is an expert in his own right, but when he got out, we put to our, our, our uh, thinking caps on and said, okay, how can we take this from a military construct and use it from the battlefield to the boardroom? Uh, we know it works from Kansas to Kandahar. How can we take it and let our law enforcement professionals use it to become smarter and faster? The old John Boyd Zuda loop that no Nobody uh, understands, but they keep throwing it out there. We didn't want that. We wanted it to be simple. We wanted it to be utile, and we wanted it to be legally defensible. Well, that's great. Well, you guys dispel that adage that I use all the time, and that is uh, don't meet your counterpart on the battlefield, but you there guys you did. <laughs> so <laughs> exactly. that works too. <laughs> so that's great. So, yeah, I mean, um, well, you're using it in a critical situation, you know, where your your uh, your opposite number is armed and they're looking to kill you. In policing, 
you know, we're walking around with, you know, 95% of the people that we're dealing with are good people uh, that we're trying to help with problems and things. But then we come across that, you know, really small percentage of people that are looking to do us harm. And, uh, you know, it's a really tough environment today in law enforcement in those situations where, you know, we want to be efficient and we want to address those people. What are you hearing from the critics who say, hey, don't use your, you know, your uh, mumbo jumbo on on everybody because we all have First uh, Amendment rights uh, and we don't want to be looked at or evaluated. Right. What do you say to them? What have you heard? Well, I'll, I'll start real quick, Greg, just because I want to dispel a couple things. You just said, you know, oh, you know, the military you're facing an armed person. Well, most of the fight that, that I was involved in was amongst the civilian population, and it was all new and it was different, and they spoke a different language, right? Well, <clears throat> so we, I learned the most from street cops, guys like Greg, because the thing is, there's far more differences in the military and law enforcement and training and everything in their roles. There are far more differences than there are uh, similarities. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. But uh, but the idea is a, a, a road cop sees more in, in, in one year on a career than you will in the military for 25 years or longer. I, I, you, you just do. What, what the idea is you gain so much tacit knowledge from experience. You actually don't even realize how much information you know. So what we do is we operationalize that information. I mean, like I walk into a group of police officers. Well, I was never a police officer. I did what I call a lot of ride-alongs when I was younger, mostly in the That's back. That's not a ride-along, Brian. If you're <laughs> but, looking through the cage, that's not a ride-along. But, but I, I've, I've, I've worked with thousands or tens of thousands at this point. I, I don't know. And, and operate alongside them in the United States going on different uh, things that we were doing at the time. And the idea is you, they have more information in their head. It just, how do we get that out? How do we say, I, I, I feel something wrong here. There's something up with this. I know. Well, we just give you that lexicon to articulate that. So the idea is you're the expert already, right? We just give you words to use and a framework to use that you can testify in court. To. So I, I kind I wanted to start with that, Greg. I'm sure. No, no, I, I think that's great. What the critics would say, I know. There's, there's. And, and Jim, I would say spontaneous combustion. I would, I would add on to Brian. Spontaneous combustion is so rare that it's notable. It's remarkable. Uh, movies are made about it. Uh, uh, all of the news stations that uh, do 24-hour uh, uh, broadcasts love those type of situations. What we do is we take time to look for a catalyst. So just like HR in a in a business world, uh, HR is looking to make sure that uh, there's not a catalyst, uh, there's not a bump that, you know, the, the mattresses with the P at the bottom. Uh, uh, and if they do find a situation that, that promotes that type of thinking, they're going to put somebody in the timeout chair. Well, coppers are the same way. And, and rarely you get somebody that's going to fight or run or kick or shoot or do those things. And then you have to be prepared for both of those and the negotiation. And, and when people get hooked up on profiling, uh, 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 Ethnic or racial profiling means targeting specific individuals or groups based on their appearance or the color of their skin. Racial profiling is always illegal. It's always unconstitutional, and it's always discriminatory. It's, it's unscientific. So, so it, it is. And, and so it's one dimension that you have to measure somebody on. So human behavior profiling is legal. It's moral. It's ethical. What it relies on is determining whether intent is present. That's it. Okay? So in the behavior of any human event or vehicle that you're witnessing right now, is there demonstrated intent? And if you can prove that intent is present, 
Is that intent likely to lead to a most dangerous course of action, an MDCOA, or a most likely course of action, which is more benign, and we don't have to deal with that right now? In that context alone, law enforcement professionals can then determine whether an intervention is necessary or warranted. Listen, not everything needs your intervention, and not everything has to have a lethal outcome. But when we approach it in a, in a binary sense, that's what we're, we're starting to choose. Uh, when, when, when we see uh, uh, a situation where the escal- uh, escalation of force is, is uh, uh, inevitable, uh, we uh, as trainers all cringe and go, wait a minute, there's these three points where an intervention could have de-escalated the situation. And, and we don't act. Why? Because everybody's looking for a thing, T-H-I-N-G. Nobody's looking for a think, a T-H-I-N-K. And I'll tell you right now, we used to work on the road with a lot of thinkers, a lot of great critical thinkers, and some of those people have left the business, and, and we didn't take the care to replace them. So guess what? What hath God wrought? Now we're in a situation where the pendulum is swung, and we're looking for those people on the street, and, and there's nobody in the, in the dugout uh, uh, warming up the pitcher uh, to put them back out on the street. Yeah, in the in our second half, I really want to get into the training and how that's done, but I mean, you guys b- both touched on some some real uh, issues in policing. And that's, you know, sometimes we have really great intuitive cops who Mm -hmm. see something, maybe they can't really articulate it. They say later that it was a gut feeling or their spider sense was tingling or what, whatever. Right. But uh, you're talking about science. You're talking about evidence base. It's from human behavior recognition. Uh, you know, I, a friend of mine who's a researcher for Fletzy, uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Laura Zimmerman, she's done some really great research with body cams and, and things like that. And I asked, is there ever, has there ever been research done on uh, what you observe in uh, an offender or a suspect that you're talking with? And is there some signal that they, some body language or something that they, you can recognize in their face that happens just before they go on the attack. So, so what you're getting into is what a lot of people try to do. And I understand why, but it's typically ineffective or it's only within a certain context, right? Okay. So you're in this situation, you're interviewing a person about this subject and this is what they do. Okay. Well, that's great. And maybe it works some of the time in those situations, Mm -hmm. but it can also get you into the trick bag uh, because you'll end up jamming a square peg into a round hole. There are some techniques out there that we've seen taught and i'm not going to mention them on your show but i'm going thank god that person didn't have a good defense attorney because that was complete junk science and it it was illegal what they did but uh um, the the idea is and i always want to be careful with that and caveat that stuff but the idea is it's usually so relied on this very narrow bandwidth of context that it doesn't work outside of that where we take the general approach that literally works on the person you're talking to and then when you go home and talk to your kid right Right. So Dr. Zimmerman spot on. First of all, huge fan. Uh, we know of her work. Uh, yeah. uh, th- there's not enough uh, of her type of thinkers out on the ground. So let's give you something because everybody wants to rely on body language. Body language is important contextually in very limited roles and very limited situations. But some people hang their hat on it and it becomes a parlor trick. So I'll, I'll give you a laser focused one. So we have histamines. We have small hair like fibers that come to the surface when, uh, you know, it's cold outside and we come into a warm place or when we, you know, run a marathon or when we're getting agitated with the situation. And those allow sometimes uh, rich oxygenated blood.
blood to gorge into a certain part of the body. One of those parts of the body is the nose. And what happens is sometimes when a person's being deceitful, the cilia vibrate and what the person has to do is rub their nose. Now that's very close to their mouth. Episodic uh, 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 saliva, uh, saliva yeah. uh, is, is gone when a person starts to lie to you the, because the hypothalamus heats up. We could go deep down into that. And so they start to rub their mouth. But I'll tell you another thing. If I'm in an interview for my life, I might ask for a glass of water and rub my mouth. Uh, if, if I've been doing cocaine all night and you arrested me and you've got me in this room and I need a blanket and you're starting to ask me, I might rub my nose or I might just have a cold. So what happens is artifacts and evidence support reasonable conclusions. An unreasonable conclusion is a rush to put a round peg into a square hole. And, and there's no reason to use an axon camera to view your homicide because you rushed to an unreasonable conclusion and went in when you should have given yourself the gift of time and distance. So, so we're all about thinking it out and talking it out before you have to act it out because frankly, most of the purveyors of the acting it out aren't as good as they think and there's so much uncertainty in those situations that even the highest functioning operators get into what brian just called the trick bag so totally understandable yeah and just to clarify dr zimmerman hasn't done a study like that no i no, i know no, her work as soon as you yeah. said her name yeah she does yeah, great it, work we're yeah. both going wait a minute we know her so yeah yeah, no, yeah but she's, it, she's done the grade body cam uh, right uh, uh exams so um so let's just shift a little bit. I'd love to hear how, uh, what you're talking about, how, you know, human behavior. Um, we've had a couple of pretty big um, incidents, large, uh, you know, fatal incidents involving large crowds, whether they be at a demonstration or at a music concert or some other venue where uh, maybe we didn't, uh, you know, do the planning that we should have. Uh, how can you gauge a large amount of people? Can you gauge a crowd with yeah, certain uh, teaching? Brian, let me ju- just drop in yeah. one and I'll, I'll throw it to you. So, so uh, Jim, our, our CEO is a, a female human behavior profiler and an excellent former road cop, uh, Shelly Williams. She's just incredible. And uh, so we were uh, at a venue, uh, which I won't describe, uh, but there was a number of pictures of the crowd from different events. And you were looking down at the crowd from overhead. And the person that was putting the event together says, what, should, what do I need to know? Give me a couple of gems, a couple of those stones that you can put in my palm that I don't forget. And Shelly pointed to an area where uh, the way the shape of the building was about eight feet off the ground, there was this little uh, uh, area where you could put a planter or a sign or something up there that was out of the scrum of people that were milling about. And Shelly says, how fast could you boost me up there? And I could reach down and grab you and pull you up. So we weren't trampled to death when somebody thought they heard gunfire. And and Brian and I were looking like, uh, here comes Shelly with the simplest advice that you can have. Always have an exit strategy. Always answer anticipate that the crowd is going to and you know what we've got the greatest minds in the world the incident commanders and the coppers on the ground that haven't uh, uh and 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 they say oh well you know we've managed uncertainty before yeah you've managed uncertainty until somebody gets trampled or until somebody jumps off a balcony until gets uh, somebody gets shot i would say and and and, and i don't want to piss anybody off that's listening but when you take a look at the ambush of the dallas pd uh, uh, Dallas PD is one of the greatest police departments on the face of the planet. Yep. They have incredible training and incredible trained officers. And yet how many had to die 
before they figured out that they didn't have a protocol for a, a sniper ambush. You, you get where I'm going, Jim? It's, it's, it's one of those things that if we don't engage with it now, we're going to face it later, and it's going to be 10 times worse. And, and crowd, crowd dynamics are very, very complex. Um, there is no one theory that governs how crowds are going to behave. And so I always keep this to a general statement, is that most human beings, one-on-one, most human beings, even people with mental health issues, emotionally disturbed people, are, most people can be reasoned with. You can sit down and have a conversation one-on-one. As that group starts to grow, meaning the more people there are, the dumber we get. So that's just a general rule, right? The more people around, we get dumb. And we look for cues in our environment on how to act and how to behave. And now maybe I'm just a kid and I want to do something crazy. And I saw someone do something crazy over there. Well, well, I'm, I'm like 17 years old, so I'm going to have to one-up that, right? Because I don't have, oh, I, my prefrontal cortex isn't fully formed yet. I'm not making the best decision. So when we get in those crowd dynamics, they get very, very dumb, very fast. And people start to lose this individual sense of, sense of identity, and they kind of just fall to the crowd. So if you have those individual people in the crowd that are there to capitalize on that and get people riled up and move in, those are the ones that you can focus on and you can identify them, right? You can pick, literally pick them out of a crowd from a great distance with a pair of binos and go, hey, this guy over here, uh, blue shirt, uh, black pants, uh, he's the one giving direction to all of these people over here. But the guy in the left over here, he's just drunk and partying. He's going to do whatever anyone tells him to do. So there's so many little characters in there that, that play on each other and feed on each other. And Brian, you're so spot on, but the intervention has to occur early. So we were in Iraq, and it was a, 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 a kinetic part of Iraq, as if there wasn't one back then. <laughs> and uh, so I, I was talking about the, the psychology of an offender, and so we put up a sign in Gulf Arabic that said, IED checkpoint ahead. Uh, uh, and sure enough, we, with binos and surveillance teams, watched the people that turned around, crossed the median, and went away, and we stopped them. We came up with bomb makers and felons and guns. And people said, how did you do that? Lowest common denominator. Stop overthinking everything. How do humans react to these external schema? And, and if you can predict what they're likely to do next and they don't do it, well, guess what? That's incongruent behavior. Danger always lies in incongruency. Now, I'm not talking about a person uh, uh, has a wonderful painting style that's very different than everybody else. I'm talking about somebody that's laughing at a homicide. I'm talking about somebody that's taking that exit before the IED check lane. And, and of course, you've got to understand, we're giving a 30,000-foot example. The training, the most basic training we do for law enforcement is three days. So, so in a 30-minute episode on a podcast, we're not going to solve a lot of your agency's problems. But the idea is in almost every situation, you can give yourself the gift of time and distance and solve those problems ahead of time. Look, if I'm going to watch for a bomber at the airport, I'm going to be watching the, the, the parking lot. I'm not going to be watching the person come through the security checkpoint. I want to see them circling and say, why do they have eight pieces of luggage and there's only one person in the car? I want to see why they park in the, in the position that they do. And, and sadly, we don't think it out, and we think that a camera is a solution. A camera is only going to videotape your homicide or your, your attack. you got to roll the tape back, and you got to apply thinking. And thinking will say, these are my choke points. These are my danger points. And look at the way these people are acting out in a specific manner. It has nothing to do with their religion or their skin or their manner of dress or the language that they speak. We've got to disabuse ourselves of that quick because we're wasting a lot of time and money trying to solve problems that way. And how has it served us in the past, oh, I don't know, 4,000 years? Uh, we've got to abandon those tactics quickly, Jim. So, Greg, you make some great points. Uh, Brian, you do too. And, Greg... 
maybe we can solve the problems because we can extend the show from 30 to 45 minutes if need be. So <laughs> Here we go. All, all that extra 15 minutes will be the difference. No, great point, though. Okay, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we could devote a whole show to talking about, uh, you know, using human behavior to gauge crowd behavior. Right. And um, I mean, I, I think often uh, we do not uh, explain enough. Now, what do you what do you do when it comes to the media? Or do you have suggestions for agencies that are coming up with a backlash um, when they've acted at a protest or demonstration when they're being criticized for using force or tactics on a quote peaceful protest? Right. So right. I'll. I'll... I'll give you an example. The, the, the U.S. military at the tactical and operational level is uh, light years ahead of anyone else out there. It's so impressive, even being in the military and seeing some of the things you're just, it's unbelievable what we can accomplish. It's a little different at the strategic level. Well, why? Because we're ultimately, the, the Department of Defense is technically run by civilians, appointed by elected officials, and elected officials are the one who authorize certain things, right? So, so strategically, uh, there's a lot more involved, but the tactical operational level uh, um, you know, are there. And so why is it like that? Because the military's job is to say, yeah, we can accomplish that, and we will die trying. If you give us a mission, we will either accomplish it or we will all die doing it, right? Meaning we're going to do this. We're going to figure out how to do it, and we're very good at it. Well, that's not unlike law enforcement. What happens in law enforcement? Yeah, fine. We can do that. Yeah. All right. We'll do that. You take on more and more and more at that tactical and operational level. And, and what needs to happen is at that strategic level, right? That chief has to be the one to the alderman, to the public saying, look, we cannot do that. This is how our policies and procedures are. This is what you don't come alderman i'm going to take you out there i'm going to show you this is what has to be done all right you don't want us to use any force on these people okay then we need 10 officers there in this situation okay if we put 10 officers there in this situation guess what happens the carjackings one mile over going to pick up uh the armed robbery is going to pick up over here so where we only have a finite amount of resources where do you want to allocate them to? Because they'll come, we can we can do that. You know, my always big thing is anytime I'm with with law enforcement, and we're out there for a while and say, all right, we got to get this done. We you know we got to get this guy in custody, or we have. I'm like, why do we have to do it right now? And they're like, well, well, no. I mean, the situation's happening. I go, yeah, but the, the guy's not doing anything right now. He's just standing there. It's like, why does it have to come to an end right now? Because if we stay for two more hours, you get overtime, don't you? So, so technically, the longer this goes on, the more money you make. So if I'm sitting here collecting a paycheck, let's do it. It's like, well, it doesn't work that way. Like, look, I get it. It's a thought experiment. It's going, that has to be shown. This is what our policies and procedures are. If you'd like to change those policies and procedures, that's going to take some effort on your part. And you have to get the community vote. You can't just keep throwing it on law enforcement. Because what do you do, Jim? You're copter for a very long time. When they come down and say, you got to do this, what do you do? Roger that. And you get it done. Well, we, we, someone has to push back. And that has to be at that strategic level. That chief has to say, hold on. We cannot support this. We're working double shifts. Uh, uh, this, this Chicago Police Department has had a day off in like a year and a half. You know what I'm saying? Like we, you cannot operate that. Stress fractures will break eventually. So someone, that leadership has to come in and say, you have to say no, right? You have to say that it cannot be accomplished given the, given the finite amount of resources we have right now. If you'd like to allocate more towards us, we can make something happen. So let me give you the other side of the coin. 
And, and Brian, that was great. But but historically, in the history of the United States, I'm not talking about the 53 countries where we've taught our skill. I'm talking just the United States. When you take a look at a at a county, for example, the most in, uh, you know influential person in that county is the county coroner. They've got the highest law enforcement credentials and the ability to change a whole bunch of things. Why? Because they're the purveyor of science. Well, who's next in line? Well, the city attorney, the district attorney, the person that protects the law. So if we think, what do cities get? Cities get exactly the law enforcement they deserve. You vote people into office or you vote them out if they're incompetent. You you Look, you're asking questions that are based at Bang, Jim, and they're great questions because that's where it's scariest. That's where the bad stuff happens. Uh, uh, working every incident at Bang mentality means that you're locked into reacting to a suspect's actions. There's a very short supply of critical thinkers on the street, and, and you can't arrest or taser your way out of everything. Uh, uh, so instead of being quick to rush into your own homicide, let's take that, uh, 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 you know, the mayor or the mayor pro tem, let's take them on a ride along and show them what the word on the street is, show them what we're facing. Open doors, open kimono, uh, uh, transparency with the community. This is how we're trained. This is what we do. Uh, A subject or a suspect and their peers and their parents, they need to understand if they choose not to comply, they increase the likelihood of a violent encounter, and that encounter could include them being killed. That's just simple math. I I, I mean, there's there's no, uh, uh, you know, we're not trying to make a threat there. And and I would would ask you, Jim, based on your own history, look at, you've got an incredible history as a law enforcement. How many times have you and I uh, uh, seen this play out? Use of lethal force is very remarkable and unusual. How many combined radio runs do we have uh, together just in our career? And what percent of the uh, percentage of those uh, uh, calls required our absolute immediate intervention by punching or tackling or choking or shooting somebody? Almost never. There's 15,000 police agencies in the United States alone, and almost every single day those coppers show up and use no force. The most force they use is on their pen to write a report. So, so stop the unreasonable standard by opening education and transparency. This is about controlling the operational tempo. This is about predicting a suspect's likely course of action or a crowd's likely course of action. Deliberately thinking, let's not allow this overgrown lawn caper in Texas or domestic violence arrest in Minnesota turn into a homicide. How many coppers wish they could rewind that tape too late? I'm saying predictive analytics allows us to lead with science rather than emotion. And it keeps us being uh, led around by our nose with emotion or allowing emotional people to lead the dance. We can't do that. If we don't intervene now, it's going to continue to go down this road. And it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Yeah, great, great points by both of you. And uh, yeah, we, we always talk about the incident, but if we could go back in time or, I mean, we can, we can from here yes. on out, right? So yes, we, can. Uh, we talk about the 10th man or the red team, somebody who can say, hey, if we do this, this could happen. So we Jim, need Jim, part of what you do, part of what you do is break down things and do after actions and you write about them and you say, hey, take a look at this. What, what, what we need to stop doing is take a look at something as obtuse as January 6th and say, we want culpability. We want to prove who was responsible. Let's roll that back and go, hey, where did we stub our toe? Where did we skin our knee? Right. You know, where, where did we lose our name or scrape our badge? And how can we fix that? If we spent more time there, Jim, more time in what you do for a living now, uh, uh, we would have less egg on our face as a profession. Yeah, for sure. Hey, uh, I could talk to you guys for hours, but I'm going to have to take a quick break uh, so we can acknowledge and thank our sponsor. Be right back. PoliceOne.com is the number one resource for your up-to-the-minute law enforcement news, training, and incident analysis. 
Our mission is to provide you with the information you need to better protect your communities and your safety. Becoming a Police One member is quick, easy, and free. Once registered, you will receive access to secure law enforcement-only training and video tips, articles and sections, and a subscription to our award-winning law enforcement newsletters. Go to policeone.com forward slash registration to sign up today. That's policeone, the number one, dot com forward slash registration. And we're back and I'm speaking with Brian Marin and Greg Williams from Arcadia Cognorati and human behavior analytics training. Uh, great talk so far, you guys. Um, Let's talk about uh, de-escalation. There's an assumption that we get some cooperation from the the offender. Um, you know, when we talk about de-escalation, there's a sense that something's occurred. There's some precursor to sure. violence or resistance at that point. What do you guys? How do you acknowledge uh, de-escalation training? So you know, we take a look at it. Anything we, when we say de-escalate, I mean de-escalation is what. Greg wrote for the United States Marine Corps. Um, I mean, that combat hunter program was, hey, even though there's a chaotic war going on and, and Marines are coming home in body bags every day, we're going to go through this training right before we deploy. And we're not going to fire a single round. We're not going to boot a single door and we're not going to ram a single car. It's all about how to think, right? That's a de-escalation strategy. How do I understand the situation? Because the faster I am at understanding, the faster I am at sense-making and problem-solving, well, that gives me more time and more distance. And the more time and distance I have to make a better decision, right? We can, we can deal with things uh, when it's an issue before it becomes uh, a problem. And so we approach de-escalation from a tactical, operational, and strategic perspective. Problem is we see most of it's like, okay, this person's doing this. How do we de-escalate? It's like, hang on. Well, we got to wind that tape back, just like we're talking about and saying, you know, we are can't, we can be a contributing factor to the problem. And oftentimes we are, and you just brought it up when we do after action reports, what does everyone talk about? Well, they got to make, what was the caliber of weapon that they used and what tactic did they use? And you know, what was the bullet, how many rounds they fire? That's important for, uh, for the, for the case, right. For, for prosecution and stuff like that. And, and for preservation of evidence and all that, but that, that has nothing to do with the contributing factors of the problem. We have to focus on what Greg even just mentioned, what we can control. I can't control if you're an emotionally disturbed person and you're all fired up and you have all these different issues and you have some crazy political agenda. I can't control it. I can control certain things with my factor and it starts with me. So before I can de-escalate you, Jim, I got to de-escalate myself. I have to understand where that comes from. And that's literally from the time you wake up in the morning, everything you've done that week. You know, I go back to the Chicago Police Department reference right? Uh, uh, you, you, how effective do you think you are when you've been working 12-hour shifts for 10 straight days? You're going to de-escalate a situation? You're coming in at, you know, if it's a 1 to 10 scale, you walked into work that day at an 8, all right? And when you should have walked in at a 1. So so that's kind of how we approach it. I, I know, Greg, you probably... No, have- no, I'm going to take the other perspective again, Brian. I think that was absolutely wonderful. Uh, I want you to take a look at uh, a situation, and I'm talking to uh, the people that are out there that are a chief of police or a deputy chief like uh, uh, you were, Jim, people that are teaching at the academies, you know, there, there's a, a thing that we need to do. And what we need to do is we need to take a look at how force is used and when force is applied. And we have to understand that there's certain critical elements of force. For example, you're likely to use more force if you're less educated. 
uh, if you have less training, you're likely to use a higher level of force. What does that mean? Well, that means that we have to change that cycle. Uh, uh, I'm all for the First Amendment. Uh, uh, You have the absolute constitutional right to resist an unlawful arrest. But if you choose to resist at the scene, the uncertainty and risk alone are never going to be in your favor. So, so what's redress? Well, redress means asking a criminal or a civil court to remedy something and set it right, uh, uh, whatever the illegal, undesirable, or unfair situation was that you encountered. So whether it's a crowd dynamic, whether it's a, a, a seemingly uh, a racist or sexist uh, thing that occurred, or you know, like like we're talking about the the uh, uh, Burlington, you can't go anywhere without the Burlington shooting of the poor young lady. Uh, that was shot through a wall during a, another arrest. Okay, what is that a function of? Well, it's a function of a bunch of things. Uh, 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 back in the day, when you were talking about subjects or suspects and Ellie encountering and interacting with them, we knew the public was educated on what was prudent and legal and expected because it was taught in civics class in school. Now, uh, spitting, yelling, fighting, running, they're all taught on social media. That, that, that emphasis is wrong. Look, it's horrible that that girl was killed. But what do we expect was going to happen when the lessons that we bring back from Iraq and Afghanistan and other places that we fought bring us amazing things like curlicks or amputations or or, or how to save uh, uh, limbs when they're they're horribly desiccated or damaged uh, uh, due to whatever situation in combat. But at the same time, we bring back high-capacity magazines and semi-automatic weapons that have penetration power, and, and we have uh, uh, armored vehicles, you know, the, the up-armored uh, vehicles. You can't go to a police agency and say, hey, we have all these things in the arsenal don't use them. We can't go to the police agency and say, hey, we have all these wonderful military tactics that worked in a kinetic environment. Use them in Lincoln, Nebraska. You're out of your mind. That's the wrong approach. The approach is to sit down and think about it. And you know what? The, 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 the thing that needs redress that you walk by is what you expect uh, from a community from there on. Uh, so the leadership is key. All problems start with leadership. The second thing is training. If you can't lead or train yourself out of the situation, you should retire. Uh, uh, so that pendulum swing is predictable, but we don't have to allow it to go to those lengths. We, we can slow it down. We can stop it by giving what Brian called the gift of time and distance, hiring better coppers, uh, uh, insisting on better training, and making sure that there's absolute transparency within your community. Because at the end of the day, what are you doing? You're there for those community members, and, and you will get the level of police uh, uh, professionalism uh, in your community that you vote into office. All right. Well, I, I mean, like I said, we could talk for hours about this, and you, and you guys have a um, a great concept, a, a great strategy at making uh, our awareness um, better from the onset. Uh, how do you do the training? It, what's the blocks like? It's a perishable skill, certainly. How often do we need to talk about these things? So yeah. the beauty of what we do, and we have the the studies kind of showing all this stuff. They're on the website. No one ever reads them except, except for when they do, they, there. Come, they, right. they come back with, with praise. But, uh, but the idea is, um, you know, what we're teaching is an inherently intuitive skill set. So you already know what this, you already have these skills on board, right? It's like flipping on a light switch. I just, all I got to do is I got to get in there and I got to rearrange some axons and dendrites, create some new neural pathways and get you looking at something a little bit different. Because one of the biggest comments we get from, from the real senior uh, guys and girls in the room is they're going, where is this been my entire career? Like I, I have this knowledge, but I didn't know all this. I didn't know how to say what you taught me. I had to learn the hard way. And, and even now, so the idea is 
we come in and teach a course and it doesn't matter if you're, you're still at the academy or you've been riding the roads for 25 years, you're going to learn something. It's not, there's this level course and this level course. It's you're going to get better at this because just like when I walk into a SEAL team or a team of police officers, I go, I don't know anything about your job. You're already experts at what you do. I'm going to give you this skill set, and you're going to get better at what you do based on learning this. But it all depends on that individual. And what you get in a group of people is we share experiences in what we call file folders. So I'll tell a story to explain that concept, and they'll go, oh my gosh, that reminds me of a time when I did this, this, and this. Now I see... I knew it the whole time that there was something up, but I couldn't put my finger on it. So we ended up going in and something catastrophic happened or, or something bad happened, even though we all knew it. So, so that's the idea is now they know how to articulate the things you're already picking up on. And you can testify to that. We can say, this is what normal in a clinical sense human behavior is. These are the anomalies I saw. This is why that didn't fit in that context. This is what led me to my next decision. So if you can get someone just to explain why they made a decision, that I, the one, it makes it clear to a jury, to, to the public on what they did. And identi- it identifies different problems. You go, oh, wait a minute. That person didn't make a wrong decision. We, were, we trained them incorrectly. We didn't have the right policies and procedures in place. So it takes it off that person and puts it on the agency and, and, and the, the community in the city, which is what it should be. I mean, we're all actively involved in this, whether you're a police officer or not. This affects you. So that, that's Absolutely. kind of how we do it. So I would, I would throw out the likelihood scale. So, so let's just play with likelihood games real quickly uh, uh, that I've been engaged in since the late 70s, okay? Uh, number of uh, grains of sand on a beach, it's not infinite. It's very finite. So, so our predictive analysis of a human's behavior. There's nothing that we've uh, ever seen that we said, wow, that's so remarkable. We don't have a file folder for it. Uh, we can predict when people are pressed where they're going to squeeze out with their anger or their hate. Uh, uh, so, uh, uh, Jim, I would challenge you in all the police pursuits you've had i guarantee you've never had one where the guy pulled over halfway or the female and jumped out and threw down the keys and said damn it okay i got it everything i've been doing is wrong let's start over i'm sorry that just doesn't happen so so we could predict where the danger points were of something happening so now let's transport ourselves to dispatch uh dispatch needs critical training why because when they say something over the radio we have a bias an inherent bias that we turn things that another person is saying in our brain and we understand how we're going to deal with the situation so we have a preconceived notion of what we're going to arrive on even before we shut off the siren and step out of the vehicle and then we walk up and we're ready to freeze down on the ground and that the the person is our reporting party those things happen all the time so then i would go one level uh, level up to your chief of police or your deputy chief here's a good test for them to see if they need training you hear a situation that's going out and it's a critical situation you got officers or uh, community members down and the very first thing is you call down and you say which officer is my lead who do i have on the scene and they send back uh it's marion whatever you know and immediately you think yeah do me a favor get down there send sergeant so-and-so or lieutenant whatever to the scene for damage control or it comes back well it's jane so-and-so and you look and you go okay Find out what Jane needs on the street and send her all the help that she needs. Why? Why are we still relying on those loose cannons? Just like school shootings. Every kid in a school goes, it's him. Well, when there's going to be a school shooter, but we don't listen. Every agency knows who their, their hard cases are. They know who the people that don't communicate with, and they keep them around. Well, you know what? Reap the whirlwind. 
We're talking about a new way of thinking through problems. We're not talking about being uh, less aggressive on the street. We're not talking about not arresting people. We're talking about weighing the balance of what might we gain by this situation and what must we lose to get there. All right. Well, we're running out of time and I respect your time. I want to ask one last thing, and that's about uh, your teaching techniques. Um, do you use virtual reality or any other kind of technology in, in your classes? So so we have, and we partnered with uh, some companies. I can't kind of let anything out yet. And the idea is to, to put it in a little bit of an electronic format, especially with VR and some, some of the other simulation stuff. Um, we prefer in-person. Um, that's just how humans learn, especially a skill set like this. I think there's a little too much that's gone virtual and e-learning, which becomes check in the box. I think for certain things, it's absolutely great and it's absolutely applicable. And for others, no, it's, it's, it's the absolute wrong way to go. Uh, um, but, but we, we prefer in-person because you're just, you're going to learn so much more. And then, but yes, we, we do partner with some of the companies. If I guess if folks are going to the shot show coming up here, they'll probably see some of that stuff there from Arcadia with some of the other companies, but I don't want to, I don't, I'm not allowed to talk about certain stuff yet. So quickly, Jim, Brian and I love virtual reality, augmented reality. We worked with the federal government. We worked with DARPA on developing some protocols. If everything that you've got is a surprise and first it's a phone and then it's a gun and then it's a lighter that you're carrying and it's all binary, shoot, don't shoot. Uh, uh, welcome to the real world. That, that training has to go away. Uh, uh, that's not teaching us how to think ourselves out of problems. And we're all about advanced critical thinking. Awesome. So in the show notes, uh, our listeners can find some of your, uh, definitely your website, and then maybe an article or two about um, what you've done and how it's manifested on the streets. Hey, thanks, uh, Brian and Greg, for being on the show. And I know we're going to be talking again uh, soon and, and have you back on to talk about some other things like after action reports and um, you know, using the media to, to tell our side of the story as well. Hey, thanks so much, guys. Thank, Thank you, you very much. We we're really honored. appreciate it. Thanks yeah, for your service. Being the show. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for your service again. Appreciate it. And to our listeners, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed these guests. Dynamic uh, speakers, great guys. Uh, check them out at Arcadia Cognorati. Um, and uh, let us know what you think. Shoot me an email at policingmatters at police1.com. That's policingmatters at police1.com. Let us know what you think, who you want to hear from, what are the subjects you want to talk about. And thanks for listening. Be safe. Watch your back. And uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. Take good care.